Amen. Thank you so much, Sarah and Heather, uh, for all you brought to us this morning. Yeah, this, has anybody been wondering, like, who is this person up here and where did she come from? How many of you are like, who is she and where did she come from? Yeah, um, she's been here almost a year now. And kind of came in initially just to sort of heal up and discern God's will for her life. She's been in ministry. She loves to speak God's word. She loves to lead worship, obviously, um, has been educated in all those things. As you can kind of tell when she speaks, it's like, why is Jason getting up? Let's just have more of her. Um, but just such a good heart has been through so much in her life. Her husband's name is Trinity. They've been here for now a year and we just hired her on part-time. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't even the plan in the beginning, but part-time right now to uh, just work with worship and uh, discipleship and worship and just coming alongside specifically a lot of women that just need someone to come in close proximity where a man just can't or it's not appropriate. So if you have anything going on in your life and you just need someone to talk to with a knowledge of the word and a heart for God and just really an amazing ability to discern just truth uh, from lies. Um, this is your girl right here. This is your girl. We love you and we're glad you and your husband are parking. Can you give her a hand here this morning? Love you. It's just crazy way out here in no man's land in the sticks, just how God keeps just bringing us some beautiful hearts with so much talent. I mean, you can have a lot of beautiful hearts and no talent um, as well. And we really love the rest of you as well. Um, the only difference between her and a microphone is she can sing uh, and you. That's, that's all, that's the difference there. But um, it's just been good how God continues to uh, pursue us. His goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our life, even as a church. And I just want you to know as a pastor here, when I think of the valley of the shadow of death that he's brought us through and that he with his rod and his staff comfort us and he anoints our head with oil and our cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. I'm not talking just about me. I'm talking about how good he's been to our body. And all that we've been through as a church and a community, he continues to bring just the right people at just the right time to say, I'm with you and I'm gonna use them as a part of the body to be my presence that you need in this hour of your life. And I just wanna piggyback on some of those last couple songs here. I've been reading the Proverbs like, um, like a maniac the last several weeks and a proverb that stood out to me, a couple of them, Proverbs 13 and Proverbs 18, it says, heart deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? I mean, there are some sick hearts in this place. There are some crushed spirits in this place today. And some of you are like, well, that's not me. Well, can I talk to the other 97% that are in this room today? That you're going through things week in and week out. And it's interesting. So the human spirit is almost programmed and designed by God to make it through and endure physical sickness. 
I don't know about you, I can get through physical things, physical sickness all day long, but it's that crushed spirit and that sick heart, when that lasts and persists and goes on and on, and you have hope deferred, that means you hope something's gonna get better, you hope you're gonna change, you hope something for your marriage, you have hopes and dreams in your life, and they're dashed or they're deferred, pushed off to the side yet another week or another day, and it doesn't come true, and and somebody doesn't come through, you're let down, that can make your heart really, really sick. And it can make you feel like, what's wrong with me? God, why aren't you showing up for me? Why does it look like everybody else has a word from God and has the presence of God? And I feel like Ichabod, the glory has departed. God, what about me? I long for my longings to be fulfilled. So that tree of life, which is in the beginning, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the wrong, we ate the wrong tree. And we want that life inside of us, but our hearts are sick and our spirits are crushed. I know that's in this place. I'm meeting with people week in, week out. I'm getting the emails. I hear it loud and clear. I feel it inside of me. My shepherd heart breaks for you. I feel it myself. This week, I got shattered so many times. I'm like, I cannot believe this keeps happening. How can you keep surviving when you're going through traumatic experience that break you down to the core and make it hard to just be settled and calm enough at night just to sleep? Because you need sleep to have energy to get beat up the next day. And I want you to know that 3,000 years ago, This wisdom literature was provided for us to let us know we're not alone. The people got heart sick and spirit crushed back then as well. And I want you to know today, it's okay to not be okay in this place. I've heard for too long, you, you don't go to church unless you're okay or unless you clean up your act. It's okay for you to show up dragging your carcass into this place, just barely getting here by the hair of your chinny chin chin, if you got any hair on your chin. Or maybe the skin of your teeth, if you're a female. Or maybe you're a female and you have hair on your chin, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. I'm not getting into that. Get some tweezers. But you're coming in here and you don't know, is it okay? Is this a place? I'm in church. I don't even know if I should be here. I'm not okay. This is a gathering of people who aren't okay. This is not a club for the healthy. It's a hospital for the sick. But I want you to know it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. That God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. He wants you to not be okay. That's okay. But he doesn't want you to stay not okay. He wants you to feel like I'm growing. I'm healing. That's why in the Proverbs it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. We want to just sharpen each other in this place. We don't want to stay dull. We don't want to stay unwise, undiscerning. We don't want to stay weak. We don't want to stay sinful. We want the iron of God's word to sharpen us this morning so that we don't stay sick and feeble and weak-willed and weak-minded. Anybody want that today? I don't want to be, it isn't iron sharpens iron. It's not like a noodle can sharpen a noodle. And we got a lot of noodles out there. And I don't want to be a pasta pasta. 
That's not what I'm up here to do is just kind of sharpen you as a pasta sharpening pasta. No noodle sharpening noodle. We're coming to the word of God and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And this thing wants to sharpen you up today. It doesn't want you to stay sick. When I come and I share God's word, and I think about the shepherd metaphor throughout the Bible, that I'm the shepherd, I'm a pastor, that's what a pastor is. A pastoral ministry is actually a ministry in a pasture. It's farming terms, it's agricultural terms. As a pastor taking care of a flock, there's something that I do every Sunday morning and it looks like this picture in farming, but they didn't have this back then. And you're used to this, where I go out and I farm some land, I find some green pastures, I bale it up into some big round bales, and then I bring the bales to you and I bring it right to you and all you have to do is put your head down and eat it and come back up and take a poop and then kinda eat it and take a poop. And even the poop is taken away in manure management. That's what we're used to in farming. And I don't mind doing this a little bit, but the only reason why I do this on Sunday morning is for the next picture to take place. And the next picture is you get to go to the pastures and feed yourself. In fact, it said, I'm the shepherd and I'm a shepherd that's good and you shall not want. I'll lead you to green pastures and still waters. A shepherd goes out and says, I found a pasture. Come to the pasture. Can't make anyone drink. Can't make anyone eat. You've got to do that yourself. And what's crazy and what we do not understand and comprehend the blessing is we have the whole pasture that goes home with us every stinking week. You don't have to come to the pasture to get to the pasture. The pasture is in your hand, it's in your house. And I feed you today some round bales and they're awesome. And I've been in the Proverbs pasture myself, but you can get to the Proverbs pasture this next week and I would encourage you to do so. There's some green pasture and some still waters there that will restore your souls and lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Never get used to coming to church to get fed round bales. Shepherds lead you to pastures and waters for you to drink and you to eat for yourself. Get it? Got it? Good. Good. So I'm going to bring you some uh, truth bombs from Proverbs. Just like we did last week. I just couldn't get out of that, man. I just have been loving it, devouring it. We'll see how far we get. I only got three quarters of the way last night. We'll see if I can get halfway today. That's how it usually works. Proverbs 13 and Proverbs 12 say this, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I'm glad this is in the Bible. There's something in our culture where there's this peer pressure to be friends with everybody. In fact, you get on social media and you actually feel a lot better about yourself the more friends you have, the more faux friends you have, the more fake friends you have, that's all they are. You know who's your friend on Facebook when you say, I'm moving, can anybody help me? You get zero likes and zero comments on that post. Do it today, just, just try it out. And you'll find out only real friends help friends move. Everybody will love your dog that you post after it's new, fresh manicure or haircut or whatever you do to dogs. 
But you, you, you type in things that take and require real investment, real equity in a relationship, all those people just like and this and that and heart to you and heart to this. Try moving sometime, you'll find out you're real friends. In fact, the Bible says, a man of many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's wisdom right there. It means the more friends you have, the more ruinous it is for your heart because you're only meant to have so many good friends. When I see people on Facebook and they're like, I'm with my BFF, and the next day they're like, I'm with my BFF. It's like, that is best friends forever. Everybody cannot be your best friend. You know when everybody's your best friend? Everybody that thought they were your best friend sees that tomorrow you have a new best friend, a new new best friend, and all your friends feel like your relationship is shallow and superficial. Everybody is not your friend, nor should they be. You need to choose your friends carefully and you need to walk with the wise so that you can be wise. We're church, it's a little bit different than what you're gonna hear around here. We love unindeed church people. We wanna go evangelistically reach people who are in the gutters and in the margins and are alone and are, are marginalized and, and feel ostracized by society. We wanna welcome them in, but I'm talking about friends. You want wisdom in your life, you better start hanging around with wise people. And you get to choose your friends very carefully, very wisely. Because if you don't, you will suffer harm and they will lead you astray. And you're like, well, what about we're supposed to love our neighbor? Well, you are supposed to love your neighbor and everyone is your neighbor. But I want you to know this loud and clear. Everyone is not your friend. Everyone is your neighbor and you're to love everyone as your neighbor. You are not required to make everybody your friend. You get to choose your friends carefully. And what you're trying to do is say, I got to get around more wisdom and less fools. And you're like, well, that's, that's discrimination. Well, fools indiscriminately choose their friends. Wise people do not indiscriminately choose their friends. They are very, very discriminate when they choose their friends. The people they let close to them. The people that they get in close proximity to influence them. And vice versa. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul said it this way, don't be deceived or misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's just, that's like a proverb. And I think we're like, oh yeah, I think my good character can convert the bad company. I'm telling you, bad company corrupts good character. God didn't say good character converts bad company. Most of the time, you might be an exception to the rule, but most of the time, I've heard this when I was younger, and I heard it again from Shay, when, when you're talking about dating even somebody, somebody's like, I really like him, they're totally hot, I met him at swing dancing down in GR, they're an amazing person, they have such a great personality, they don't really know God, they don't love God, I love God, I wanna marry somebody I'm equally yoked with, but they, they, we all have so much in common, we're like this. I'm gonna start dating them and I'm gonna influence them. You're influencing them to pull them up to where you are and it's so much easier for them to pull you by virtue of gravity down to where they are. It's the same thing with friendship. Good company does not influence bad company. It takes away character and in the end brings ruin to your life. These are weird things to say 
Because I know in the world in which we live, this is, this is like, wow, we're starting to judge. Yeah, we are. It's like, oh, I don't like the word judging. Well, then make a judgment call. Everybody will love that one. Oh, I don't like judgment, even the word judgment call. Okay, act discerning then. Bad company corrupts good character. Second truth bomb, Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Do not withhold good from those whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Not everything is in my power to act. I wish I could go out and I could do good for the ones that I wish I could do good for and it's not my power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you and sort of procrastinate knowing you're not going to. This would be like, I'll pray for you and you never pray for them. Just something trite to say to make them go away when you already have it with you. To me, I, I just see this as just starting with encouragement. When it's in your power to give somebody encouragement, I don't know how many times I'll feel something good inside of me towards someone else and I won't tell them. I've said it here before. Encouragement that you hold inside of your heart that isn't shared never happens. It might've made you feel good to have that feel good feeling about the other person and what they did. But if you don't tell them that, it never happened. It never landed in their heart. They didn't get to feed on that encouragement to, to breathe courage into them. And this is, I think, a verse that goes to limp, listening to the promptings of God and the Holy Spirit. Like he, he gives you an opportunity, maybe even a divine appointment to actually interact with somebody that has need. And it's in your power to, to bring good to the situation. Most of the time, God will speak into your heart, your human spirit and his Holy Spirit will say, do this, say this, be this in this moment. If you do not do it quickly, you will talk yourself out of it. I do this. I will come up with a phrase, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you. When the first phrase that God puts into my head, if I would only act upon it, I would follow his will. How many of you talk yourself out of saying things all the time? Like God just told me to tell them, I think you're a beautiful soul. I just think you have so much more in you than you give yourself credit for. And you're like, it sounds trite. I don't know if I have the, the place in their life to speak into their life. How many of you have things inside just that? Or you know what, right now they have that need. Just open up your wallet and give them 20 bucks. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't want them to make them feel like they're my project or a charity case. Don't stop it. Follow God's promptings. I'm a firm believer. If God keeps prompting you and you, you don't respond to that, he will stop talking to you and he'll go to somebody that'll listen to him and act on it. There was a book that came out it's by Claire de Graff. He actually grew up around this area and the book is called The 10 Second Rule. And the 10 second rule was this, just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and do it within the next 10 seconds before you change your mind. I love this. And you'll get things wrong, but if 10 seconds go by, a study has been done, if you have a thought and it's a thought that's reasonably close to what you believe Jesus would do and you don't do it and you talk yourself out of it, you won't do it. You'll, you'll, you'll have another rationale or justification inside or an excuse that'll take you out of the equation. God wants you in the equation. That's why he put it inside of your heart. Amen. You've been given the spirit of God 
And we've become the church of God to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And one of the ways that we do that is we listen to God and we respond immediately to his prompting. The world's dying for this. I remember it was the week after my dad's uh, funeral. And uh, needless to say, you're sort of reeling the next week when I was back here and I went on uh, our weekly date night with my wife. We went to the Cheesecake Factory. That's really, really awesome. Can I suggest the meatloaf? And I know that sounds disgusting, but it is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like meatloaf, raise your hand. Yeah, Tim, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's what Baptist pastors do when they're giving altar calls. So good. And I'm over there enjoying my meatloaf. And I look across the room and I see this pastor and his wife and I don't know that they saw us. And this pastor and his wife don't necessarily appreciate me very much. I've gotten some notes from them. I've had some altercations, some conversations, some knockdowns and dragouts with them. And we don't see eye to eye on things. And I, I think we love each other, but we don't necessarily like each other, right? Because uh, they think I'm a heretic and I think that's ridiculous. We'll find out at the judgment seat of Christ, I guess. And that's what they're saying. Like, wait until you're a goat over there and I'm a sheep over here. So anyway, I, I looked across the room and my heart just felt like pay for their dinner. And immediately I was like, no, don't pay for their dinner after they've treated you the way they've treated you. And the second thing was like, they have people pay for their dinners all the time. They're a pastor and his wife. I mean, I, I go out, I've had dinner paid for me all the time because people feel sorry for us as pastors. <laughs> and uh, so I paid for their dinner and just walked out. I didn't think they saw me. Three days later in the mail, I get a note. It said, Jason and Heidi, thank you so much for that act of kindness to us. In over 40 years of ministry, we've never ever had anybody pay for our meal before. I just started crying. And they just said, we love you. We've been praying for you as you've gone through things with their dad. How did they know I was going through things with my dad? Three, two days or three days later, I got a big old live plant in the house sent by them and their church to me and our family after the death of my dad. It's dead now because I don't know how to take care of plants inside the house, but it was beautiful for two weeks. I, only, I say this to let you know that when you follow God's promptings, that's the adventurous Christian life. You want to know why you're bored in Christianity and it's just ho-hum and just blah, 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 blah. You start following God into the adventure. You start speaking when he tells you to speak what you don't want to speak because it's awkward or embarrassing, but God put it on your heart. Just go for it. Go for it. Next one, Proverbs 12, 1, 27, 6. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. Stupid's in the Bible. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
We're in a world where everybody gets offended the minute you come to them with any sort of admonition or any sort of rebuke or correction. It isn't just little kids that hate to be told what to do. How, much, how ma- many of you love when your spouse tells you what to do? What's your first reaction? Defensiveness, dismissiveness. Well, you don't do this. My wife, it was like last month. It's like, would you please clean up your icy pop wrappers after you're done, you know, watching TV? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but you leave all your makeup on the counter in our bathroom. There's always something where you can do that. I hate people telling me what to do. And I just think that comes from the fall because we're just a bunch of rebels. We hate. For pe- and initially, even if we're wrong, we love to negotiate our way into looking like we're right. But a fool does that. A fool can't stand when somebody corrects them and somebody admonishes them. They hate discipline. And when you hate discipline, you don't grow. You don't grow in your knowledge. You stay stupid. You become a person that falls out of the stupid tree and hits every branch on the way down by the end of your life. Gaining stupidity like a snowball going down a hill. And even as it comes to friends, friends, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you've got friends and you've never been wounded by something a friend has said to you for your own good, you don't have good friends. You don't. All you got is, you're so awesome. I have no idea why your mom would say that. He is the worst ever. I know it's your 10th boyfriend and it's all seems to be centered around you as the common denominator, but it's all their fault. The whole place thinks the same thing. They don't know you like I know you. A friend says, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but you got to stop doing that. I love you, but enough's enough. Oh, it's like, but they wounded me. Good. I have father wounds. I have daddy wounds. I have mother wounds. I have friend wounds. Did you know wounds? There's a Proverbs in here. It says bruises and beatings purge the inmost being. It's crazy. It's like going through hard things and having hard things shared with you actually purges your inmost being and cleanses you in the deepest parts. Read that Proverbs. It's powerful. We in this world are snowflakes. And oh no, the conservatives are snowflakes and the liberals are snowflakes. Christians are snowflakes. I'm a snowflake. I can't stand when somebody comes up with iron to sharpen iron. If it's not what I already believe and doesn't confirm my bias, they're the enemy in my life. Let me tell you right now, you want to stay stupid? Disregard people's correction. You got problems. I got problems. We need to get in Christian community to say, and to literally say, are there things that are blind spots in my life that I don't see? I want to welcome your constructive criticism in my life and actually interpret that as love because that's what it is. It's, I'm, the NF song, 
my, one of my favorite rappers where he's like, it's time to get back in the swing of things. When my life crashes, I'm not the guy that'll flee the scene. I'll take ownership and own it and raise my hand if it's me. Just remember though I'm only a man, I'm a human being. That, that whole idea of like, I gotta raise my hand and take ownership if it's me. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way. Let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. Let me say that one more time. Let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. A friend will stab you in the front. An enemy stabs you in the back. And man, I just, I know I'm going to say this and you're going to think of somebody else, but man, I cannot believe how the last year and a half has exposed stupid people. And you're like, oh, I know all the people around me. I'll let God just talk to you about that over time. Next truth bomb, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Can I just tell you that the church is a place where I think so much hiding and so much secrecy is happening. In fact, one of my best friends at a church down in Battle Creek that I've known for the last eight years just last week had to resign from his church because he had an affair with the executive pastor and his son's the worship leader and his wife is a pastor on staff. It's just like concealing sins, hiding. And I don't know if it's because you've been in a place or been around people where when you confess, you don't find mercy. But can I say in this place, if you after a person confesses, do not give them mercy and grace as they take that risk and have the courage to open up. Can you please leave our church? Because this church is a place when people confess with true hearts of repentance and change and a desire to grow. We want to be a people of pardon in this place. A multitude of mercy so that people feel safe to open up their closet and say, I haven't opened this up to even my best friends. I'm about to tell you something my wife doesn't know. I was right back there near that camera two weeks ago and a guy came up and he said, I haven't told my wife yet. I haven't told my kids yet. I was, I was in this industry where I'd be exposed to all this stuff and it was a part of my job and it seeped into my life and it's led to this and led to this. All these dark secrets in my life and tears are pouring down his face and he says, I just even tell telling you, I've told one other person and I'm telling you, and I'm like, I feel so privileged. This is holy ground right now that you would open up. You have my confidence. This is safe with me. Not your secret is safe with me, but you can confess to God and you can confess to people. James, Jesus' half-brother in chapter five said, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. You can have forgiveness by confessing to God, but you cannot have healing until you confess to your fellow man. It's hard to confess. It's embarrassing to confess. 
Sometimes you feel like you're gonna lose everything that you've like, like accumulated and all your reputation and, and you feel like you're gonna lose everything. Let me tell you something, you're gonna lose way more if you don't. You might lose a little bit in the temporary, but you'll gain in the long run. The, the way that I was thinking about it this week is the one who like reveals is healed, but the one who conceals, Satan steals. The one who reveals, God heals, but the one who conceals, Satan steals. He, he steals and kills and destroys, but Christ has come for you to have life and life abundantly. Life abundantly happens when you confess and renounce. This might be new to you here. It was new to me until a few years back. It isn't good enough just to repent and confess and ask forgiveness. Renunciation is huge. In fact, Paul said in, in I think, 2 Corinthians 4.2, we have renounced sinful and shameful ways. Renunciation. Just a couple prayers that I looked up that I think give you like Maybe an example, an IE of what this looks like. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I confess that I've been offering myself over to sin and now I'm its slave. I renounce it. I renounce my sins. This is where you got to be really specific. For example, I renounce the ways I presented my sexuality to sin. I renounce my sexual sins. I present my sexuality to Jesus Christ. I sanctify my sexuality to Jesus Christ. I present the members of my whole body and my sexuality as instruments of righteousness. Or how about this example? I renounce the ways I've presented my appetite and my drinking to sin. I renounce my sin of, of drunkenness and my sin of gluttony to you, God. I present my appetite and my drinking and my eating to Jesus Christ. I sanctify my whole body to you, Jesus. I renounce every way I've given myself over to sin. I dedicate and I consecrate my life once more to the rule of Jesus Christ, to be his and his alone. May your atoning blood cover my sins and cleanse me and may your holiness possess me totally and completely. I could go down through this list, but I renounce them. I ask for your blood to cover them and for your name to cover them. And in the name of Jesus, I renounce these things. Take lordship over my life in this area, God. I give myself back to you. Where the enemy has had a stronghold and a stranglehold, I renounce that. He has no place in my life. You take authority in my life that I've given up, God, and reclaim the dethroned way that I've treated you and enthrone yourself on high in the temple of this, this life. Bring the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus against that sin and renounce it. Do you smelling what I'm stepping in? You picking up what I'm laying down? You smoking what I'm rolling? That's just because we got a lot of pot in this town and I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be relevant, okay? Our town has gone to pot, I know that. Somebody thinks that's funny. I like that. <laughs> Proverbs, another truth bomb. Gosh. Oh, I'm not going to get as far as I want. This will be a good one to end on. The fools give full rent, event to their rage on Facebook. <laughs> but the wise bring calm in the end. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. 
but whoever has understanding is even tempered. A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. How many of you heard this last year, I'm just venting. I just need someone to vent to. And maybe you do. But so do fools. And they're the ones who give full vent to their rage, to anyone they're around. And now they have, on top of you know, liquid courage and alcohol, we have digital courage where you don't have to be a man and you can act like one. And you don't have to be a real you know, smart person and you can try to be a smart aleck online. And I'm telling you right now, fools are the ones that give vent to their rage. But these next five things are we people who are wise, who bring calm to situations. We de-escalate instead of escalate. We use words with restraint. We're even tempered. We're patient. We can actually, it's one's glory to overlook an offense. It means the person that is at their best before God in their created design, the most glorified person you'll meet in this world is the one who has every reason to be offended and just chooses to overlook that offense and move on with their life. Do you know what ticks off people that give full vent to their rage is when you sit there and you exercise calm, restraint, temperance, patience, and you just overlook the offense. And you look at them and say, I hope that felt good. It's called killing them with kindness. And that's what wisdom does. Can I go to another one? Can I skip past the one and get to the self-awareness one? Yeah. I love this, Proverbs 25 and 27. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. This is in the Bible. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. God inspired two verses about self-awareness. I think out of all the attributes I long for in our church, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, faithfulness, all those things, I love the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit to me is self-awareness. It's the ability to catch yourself without somebody having to tell you that you're just overboard. That in here that you, you can go to your neighbor's house and stay too long. That you can stay too late and you can do something too early. It's really weird. That it's really a great thing to bless your neighbor probably in the afternoon or the evening, but if you do it too early in the morning, they're like, get off my lawn. What are you doing? I'm trying to sleep over here. That there's, is, how much is too much? How little is too little? How, how early is too early? How late is too late? How, how much is talking too much? There's some people in this room that you don't realize you dominate every conversation and you don't let the other person talk. They haven't even, you can't comprehend for 15 minutes. They haven't said, uh-huh, oh, really? Hmm, that's amazing. Huh. They have literally gone numb and dumb. And you don't care. You're talking to a brick wall that's literally eyes are looking out the window, trying to give you all kinds of nonverbals that this conversation was done 15 minutes ago. And you don't care because it's about you. Look at people. Some self-consciousness is good. 
to have self-awareness, to know how things are landing with people, to actually share something and be like, ugh, I might've said a little bit too much. I'm gonna kind of back away. This is what the people of God do because this is wisdom. This is wisdom. And you need a friend that'll wound you to tell you this is what I've learned. I remember one time I walked away. I have a friend, her name's Heidi. She happens to be my wife. She wounds me all the time. But I remember coming away from a conversation. It wasn't the first time. And I said to her, this is about 10 years ago. And I'm like, I just don't understand. I, I ask all these questions. I try to probe into people's lives. They don't ask me any questions back. And then I leave and I'm like, what? why is it just me asking all the questions and you don't ask me any questions? She's like, you wanna know? I'm like, yeah, I wanna know. Because you don't give them a chance to. You don't pause long enough after you've just asked a question, they've answered it. You literally can't live with a pause more than a second before you ask another question. And when you start talking sometimes, after you're kind of going back and forth with them, you don't stop talking for them to even interject anything to reciprocate something in the conversation. And I opened the door and I said, get out of here. You know, I, I wanna go home and I, no. I, I listened to it, and I remember Dave Van Kulen, is he back there? He's not. Dave Van Kulen, one time, he was on staff here, and I was talking to him, and we are having a conversation. We are going back and forth, and we were not seeing eye to eye on something, and there was one point where I was making a point, and I was making lots of good points. In fact, so many good points that the next point was better than the point before, and it was pretty impressive. Everything coming out of my mouth, I was like, this is gold. This is wisdom, and I wanted to keep talking because I was on a roll, and all of a sudden, Dave Van Kulen said, would you just shut up? Would you just shut your mouth? And I'm like, I was just sharing some of the best pearls of wisdom I've ever heard before. And that's the problem. I thought I was so awesome. And he's like, would you just shut up? And right now it's 1117. A lot of you are thinking the same thing. Would you just <laughs> shut up? And those two memories are in me. It's like, you have a gift, Jason, in a conversation to come in and not know a stranger, but your gift can be your curse. You need to pause longer. You need to let other people breathe. You are a verbal processor. They mentally process. Are you gonna appreciate that or just appreciate yourself? Is, is anyone gonna be good enough for you? See, you get down to deeper things and you're like, wow, this self-awareness, we need friends that'll wound us, that are faithful. I wish I could share about gossip and this next one, but we don't have time. Um, but I just pray that we can be a people that get into the pasture of the Proverbs and just start learning these truths and applying them to our life. Don't just take these big old hay bales I brought you today and be like, that's cool, I'm going back next week for more hay. Can you get in the pasture of Proverbs this week and can you circle what God's telling you and can you beg the Holy Spirit, God, change my life with your word. I don't wanna be the way I am any longer. It's okay to not be okay. It is not okay to stay not okay. So God, we leave this place today and we've laughed and we've been shocked 
and we've paused and we've reflected and we've been moved by singing and we've been in each other's presence, but that means nothing if it doesn't take it to the streets, if it doesn't get into our homes, if we don't talk about it out of this place and we don't really grow. Satan does not mind people getting together to sing songs and listen to messages as long as they don't do anything about it. In fact, he would facilitate that all day long. What he hates is if this truth, these seeds plant into our soul and start to grow and make a difference and bear fruit in our life. So that's what I'm praying because I hate Satan and I want him to get his butt handed to him this week by this church. So help us to kick his butt this week by living out your word. We pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen. Go kick Satan's butt this week.